sex talk Derek and Miley Cause sexuality is tough And okay sex just isn't good enough No Sex talk With Derek and Miley Hey folks, welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. Y'all, I, I really like to introduce you to the people who work with us at the Center for Mental and Sexual Health. For those of you who do not remember, or if this is your first time listening, I have a group practice, which is called the Center for Mental and Sexual Health. As you imagine, I imagine many of you are aware that those who understand sexuality or sex positive they're not always easy to find or sometimes clients are really worried about being able to talk about those things with their therapist. So I decided to build a business that out the gate you knew that it was safe to talk to your therapist about sex. So I brought you someone who just joined us and she is incredible. She is wonderful. She's understanding and, and nerdy like me, y'all. <laughs> Sana Shook. She is a doctor. 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 Sana you got to make Shook. sure to put that out there. That's right. You worked hard for that. You are a mental health therapist as well as a professor for the University of Oregon. Go Ducks. Uh, welcome. Hello. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. So early. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We're, we, y'all are not aware. When this drops, it'll be... It'll be October when this drops, but we are on a Friday recording this and we're both, it's been a long week with, with clients and children and family and all of the things that life has for us in, in pandemic life in 2021. So if we get on tangents, just be aware, folks. <laughs> hey, we're human. It works. That's right. So we're going to talk a lot about what sauna sees in sauna's office that's that's what we're 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 here to talk about today we're going to talk about the the varied issues that that you see and the, and the people that you you love to help so i would love to hear from you especially i i would imagine it, it's probably different over the last two years than it probably was before that um who is the the person that you see? What is the average problem that they typically come to you and they go, you know, this is the thing that is really hurting me, right? I've been practicing for 11 years. And so in 11 years, you can only imagine the types of clients that I have seen. And I've worked with everybody, but honestly, the ones that tend to kind of speak to me the most are those that deal with trauma. And mm -hmm. trauma looks so different for everybody. You know, you can have yeah. sexual trauma. You can have, you know, especially the last two years, pandemic trauma, um, you know, trauma mm -hmm. with workplace and trauma with, you know, families and children and couples. So I, I kind of put it in the nicest way possible. I'm kind of a, a unicorn eclectic. So when I, <laughs> when I tell people that, it's like not many people have my license to begin with. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor. And I actually mm -hmm. am from Kansas. And so in Kansas, most people are either social workers or they are marriage and family therapists. You don't get LCPCs. And so I always called myself the unicorn license because I'm kind of a mix of both, which I love because mm. I can do the social assessments like a social worker and I can deal with couples and families like a marriage and family therapist. And so I like mm -hmm. to be able to dabble. And in doing that, I feel like it's really taught me how to be flexible and, and meeting mm -hmm. clients where they're at. And so those trauma clients, you know, I would get 
the the children that you know had been sexually abused or the children that it, it's that atypical standard oh you you witnessed an accident and and you're dealing with trauma but then as you dive deep into it it started to just open the doors to so many different things and and people that you would have never imagined had traumas really do and when i try to explain mm-hmm. to people trauma is such almost a a normalcy at this point you know i don't think we Mm -hmm. realize accidents can be traumas you know car accidents pregnancies deliveries like those are considered traumatic events and i don't think people really understand that and those are kinds of the clients that i just love to see because it's helping them find themselves and really get to this better version of who they are wanting to be and who they're aspiring to be. I I hear you weaving a thread between what some of us would consider common experience, but having no clue that it really can harm your body and brain. Oh, absolutely. And, And I, I think one of the things, and I, I won't speak for you, I'll, I'll see, I'm just going to check in with you on this. Like One of the things I see with my folks a lot is their misunderstanding about what trauma is. And when I start to try to help them understand that it is fundamentally different than depression, that it is a f- actual injury, that it is something that sticks with you until you really start to get to the bottom of it. And even then you have to control for it as you grow and as you develop. I, I, I'm i curious, like when you are seeing folks, say, say, say a person comes in who's like, yo, this pandemic stuff is just really killing my ability to connect with my partner. It's really killing my ability to to even connect with myself or my own emotions. I'm feeling so apathetic. I feel numb or I feel nothing. Like what, how do you usually like help them with that pain? Well, I have this brain and I actually started using this. So I, I completed training in EMDR. It's um, ideally titled Mm -hmm. eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. And what EMDR it's, it's a type of treatment to help those who are having traumatic experiences. And ideally, the way I explain Mm -hmm. to people is I cannot erase your trauma. You know, some people I think get the misconception that they can come to therapy and they're going to be quote unquote fixed. Can't do it. Um, Mm -hmm. Trauma, it, it lives in your brain. It's part of your memory. I can't get rid of that. But the effects, the physiological effects of the traumatic experience can be lessened. And I always try to give clients the image of thinking of two trains that are passing by. You just see the trains that are passing by. And that ultimately is what you get from the EMDR um, treatment in being able to not have such a a response with discussing what's going on. Because obviously mm-hmm. when we start to really dive into trauma, we have this distress and, we, and our body goes into this hypervigilant fight or flight mode and they don't know what to do with it. And so ultimately, usually when I start, I take my brain, I love it. And inside mm-hmm. the brain, there are things. So it actually I love it. Has... Y'all, it's, it's colorful. It is incredible. Yes. And but, so... But... 
that Sana's it holding has, up. you know, obviously when you think of uh, the water boy, the medulla oblongata, um, you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, the cerebrum, the pituitary gland, the hypothalamus, the temporal lobe. And so there's actual like visuals of what it looks like. And then, you know, sometimes if I want to get a little geeky, there's like, you know, little letters and I can say, hey, what's letter G um, go to? But that's if we get to that point. Um, but yeah. typically what we talk about and sometimes I don't think people understand is the effects of trauma on the brain. And we talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, when we're doing a a history, they talk about what happened in their childhood, um, but they don't realize that it can have a lasting effect on people. And, you know, people immediately think I have PTSD, not necessarily, but what people Mm -hmm. don't realize is the changes in the amygdala because that's where the, and I'm going to get a little geeky with you guys here, but the amygdala is the emotional response center of the brain. And that's what helps you. It's our smoke detector. It's what helps people perceive and control their emotions. And when people Mm -hmm. have a traumatic experience or something that happens that's traumatizing to them, and maybe they show signs of PTSD or maybe they show signs of trauma, their amygdala becomes pretty active. And, you know, that's Mm -hmm. something that most people don't realize, but not just the amygdala, your hippocampus, that's associated with memory and learning. And so when they've done brain scans, they show that there's a decreased functioning in people that have had trauma or have been exposed to trauma. And then you have obviously the prefrontal cortex. I'm, you know, I'm not going to get too detailed here, but yes, I could do this forever here. But but I'm, just seeing I'm that. I'm curious though, to, to stop with the that, that spot right there when you said decreased functioning, what does that mean to the average person? What what could they potentially see in themselves if if their brain is not functioning properly? What might be happening in their body that they might notice? They might notice that for them, they're not going to uh, situations that ultimately you and I might just deem as fine or whatever the case is, their, their brain is not responding to that um, in a sense of, and mm-hmm. I use the word normalcy in quotes because I don't want to say you know, there's no such thing as normal, but like going to a grocery store, you know, you and I can go to the mm-hmm. grocery store, get something and be like, oh, okay, this is fine. But for somebody that maybe had been robbed or somebody that, you know, might have had a really bad encounter, obviously you guys maybe may not know this, this I'm African-American dealing with Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. So maybe you got uh, yelled at by, you know, a white person. And it's just like, now you can't go to the grocery store because that that's a response. I have, mm-hmm. you know, clients that I've worked with that, that have dealt with uh, shootings and have dealt with, you know, witnessing things. And so um, mm-hmm. I, I have a person and he does not like white males um, because mm-hmm. of, you know, his experience with that. And he's a white male. So, you know, we, we kind of have this conversation. I'm like, so you don't like yourself? Um, and he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I like, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm loving myself, but like for him, just seeing white men is a trigger for him, you know? And that's, that's right. that level of decrease of functioning that is, is ingrained and it becomes almost your, um, norm. And so it's like, how do you yeah. deal with that? You know, and these are things that most people never really learn or understand that, you know Mm -hmm. what, that could be an effect on your brain from a traumatic experience. Absolutely. And I I think to turn this towards a a person's sexual experience, it doesn't even necessarily mean that the trauma was wrapped around sex. It could be that you're struggling to have interest in a lot of things because there is maybe a disassociation or depersonalization that's happening as a result of whatever the other trauma was. And those kinds of things are when people experience them, they they don't necessarily know the words for them. So let's talk a little bit about what like 
depersonalization and maybe what disassociation might feel like or look like to a person? Yeah. So if a person is, and this is in regards to trauma. So when a person is disassociating, they, they tend to feel detached. And so Mm -hmm. they might get to the type of like, right now we think about COVID, you know, um, a lot of people are disassociated for that. You know, they, it's it's becoming almost the sense of like, Ugh, okay, we're putting on our mask. It's like putting on our clothes because we've been so accustomed to it for the last two years. That's traumatizing yeah. um, for a lot of people. Absolutely. And and we, we've gotten to a level to where it's just, it's almost just our sense of reality. And when you think mm-hmm. about people that have experienced trauma or even sexual trauma, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I can't have orgasms. I'm still going to have sex. It doesn't mean anything anymore, you know, but it's like, mm-hmm. no, that's trauma. Or I can't I, feel I, the I can't pleasure feel anymore. It. Or, it's just this like every yes. day, like, okay, it's like, it's, it's our routine. Okay, I'm going to lay down and we're going to have sex, but there, there's no pleasure. There, there's no, um, hey, let's have foreplay. It's just, it's, this becomes this routine, which, you know, again, takes away from them being able to be connected and they become just so detached and disassociated. And that, you know, can reflect back in some of my clients that have trauma or experiencing trauma is it's just, mm-hmm. they almost, the way that I think some of my favorite ones have, have described it as it's like an out of body experience. They're watching their body and they're like up here, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're floating away into whatever reality that they're dealing with and they're seeing everything, but they can't like yell at their body or get their body to move. Or, you know, I've had some to the point where just getting up and taking a bath and taking a shower, they can't do it. They can see their body. They know that they smell, they know they need to take care of themselves, but they just cannot physically get to that point to where they need to take care of those basic needs. And, you know, when you think about all the, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that physiological part, just those basic things that you should already know how to do, that you teach kids how to do and babies to do, they can't do it. Their body has been so traumatized that they have lost that very basic, you know, on that pyramid, they they can't do the bottom. Yeah. And I, I, try, to, I try to help people understand exactly what you're talking about is something that we don't necessarily, this part of the brain, we don't want to circumvent. We do not want to stop the amygdala from doing its one of its primary functions, which is keeping us alive. And that, our fight or flight or freeze mechanism is fundamentally built for us to stay alive. But when it becomes problematic is when that smoke detector is going off and all the time, like you described, like trying to go to the grocery store or trying to get up and bathe yourself or when it then generalizes over your entire experience. That's when really things start to, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, go sideways for for people. They're, they, and that lack of control is something I notice is is really distressing for many of my clients. Like what when you think of like that lack of control and having enjoyed something like sexually at one point, but now not being able to access it. Like, what are you hearing from your folks as far as like those, the things that are really, really painful or distressing for them? So this may be, you're going to be like, what the hell? So I have some clients, you know, they, um, they enjoy smoking marijuana. It's one of their things, Mm -hmm. but they have been dealing with so much trauma that, just getting high is not enjoyable anymore. It's almost a chore. It's like, 
okay, I'm smoking an ounce and doing nothing for me. I got to I, I gotta make it, you know, more and more and more. And so they're starting to mm-hmm. almost get into this dependency where it never used to be a dependency mm-hmm. for them. It was, it was just a recreational thing. But now it's like I have to seek and yeah. find something to be able to help me in numbing what I'm, I'm trying to avoid. And so I get a lot of that avoidance yeah. with some of my clients. And if it's not alcohol, I will marijuana. It could be alcohol. Um, or it could just be, you know what? I used to enjoy working out. I used to enjoy just going and, and basking in sun. You know, you get sunlight. That's something that is, it's cheesy enough, mm-hmm. but getting sunlight is actually good for you. And I have some clients that mm-hmm. don't want to leave their house. They've almost become a hermit because it's just like, I can't, I can't, yeah. I can't physically get up and get out of my house to enjoy air. And, you know, just the sun, Mm -hmm. like, it's just to watch them deteriorate in front of you. It's, it's heartbreaking, but at the same time, Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost what drives me to want to work with these clients because it's, it's that almost weird. Okay. What can I try to help them do? And so it's like the research. Mm -hmm. This is the academic part of me. We're going to research. We're going to look it up. We're going to try and, you know, try everything, trial and error. Um, when you think of like mm-hmm. quantitative studies and, you know, all the science behind it, it's it's trying to analyze the data. So, okay, I'm going to give you this assignment. I want you to track, track how many days you're doing X amount of, you know, exercise or routine, and let's see what the trigger might be. So it's it's a lot of just, you know, again, going back to the academics, they're going to do some data and I want them to track it and we're going to analyze it and we're going to look and see, is there a common, common theme here? Is it that maybe it's the mornings because that's when your trauma happened? Is it because it's in the fall because that's when something occurred? So we start to really almost dissect what's happening. And part of um, a treatment goal that I usually have my clients do when I'm dealing with uh, those that experience trauma is they have to do a very detailed history. And I always tell them, we're, we're going to go where you don't want to go. And that means we're going to talk about it and we're going to talk about it in detail. And when you tell me about it, we're going to dissect it and we're going to dissect it even more. And it's very uncomfortable for them. But as they start talking and before anything ever happens, it's that level of rapport. You have to be very um, almost Rogerian with your clients. You have to meet them where they're at and just be very, it's almost almost kind of like a, a maternal thing. You know, you have to be able to, to, to nurture them and get them to a point to where they feel comfortable in talking with you about this. Because if they're not, you're never going to get anywhere with them, you know, and they're just going to shut down. I, th- I think you're, you're pointing out something that I think is really important. So for those of you who aren't therapists who, who are listening, one of the things we know about therapy is that it works because of a relationship that you build that is unique in its form and how it's created. And it is unique. It is probably one of the more unique relationships you'll ever have in your life because it has a beginning, a middle and an end. And that's intentional, but you are meant to be connected to this person. I, th- I like how you put it. It's almost maternal. It's almost like a parent relationship, but it's not. It is a relationship where you get to f- understand yourself, be the detective of your data, right? Like what you were describing. I think that that was how you were describing letting a person and encouraging a person to really look at their own lives, the experiences they've had, and zoom out a little bit and say, okay, wh- what what happened here? 
What is happening? I always kind of like put it when I tell them, you know, if, if they're making progress and they're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I always tell them, I'm just your co-pilot. Like you're the driving force behind all of yes. this. You know, I will, I, I will be that person that will start you. I'll help you like get going. But then at the, at, as I, as you start making progress, I back out and I'm like sitting next to you yes. and I'm letting you, you know, go through everything. And so when I, when I do my structure and cause people always are like, well, how, how do you do therapy? I'm very unconventional. You know, I usually, I either I have like sheets or I'm like, Hey, we're watching that video or, you know what? I just watched RuPaul's Drag Race the other day. Like, let's talk about that. You know? So I, I really mm-hmm. try to get them to a place where they can feel safe. And, you know, one of the things that I always try to explain to my clients is how awesome is it that you get to come and talk to somebody for 50 minutes about whatever. Like, I'm not, I'm not your spouse. I'm not your best friend. I'm not your mother. I'm not your sister. Like, I'm not your friend. You tell me whatever you want to tell me. And it's unbiased. Like, I I have no judgments. I might listen to what you have to say. I might throw in like a challenge or a question and be like, well, what made you want to do that? But it's nice to be able to have that safe place to do that. And so mm-hmm. most clients, you know, that I see, especially those that are experiencing trauma, and I can tell you, I never started or even thought I would ever be a trauma therapist, let alone like mm-hmm. one that works with people that have sexual trauma. Never saw myself doing that. Like I have mm-hmm. always dived into the cognitive approach. Like I, I love challenging people, but then trauma just started to kind of embed itself into my practice. It started to embed itself into the clients I saw. And then I realized that trauma is everywhere and it just, it just isn't identified often, but I love it. And it sounds creepy to say it that way. I love dealing with people that have trauma. It's, it's hard. (laughs) It's one of probably the hardest treatments that I have to deal with because I have to figure out in that sense, how do I maintain boundaries because it can be very deep like I get some clients that have some crazy traumas and I'm just like oh my gosh and for those that probably are interested you might hear in the background I have two kids and so I used to actually work with sex offenders that was one of my clients that I used to see I saw clients that um, were with the Federal Bureau of Prisons and they had sex offenses Mm -hmm. And no problems. Like I could completely check out. I would see them do everything I needed to. And then I got pregnant and started to have kids. And then it really like challenged my own internal, like, oh my gosh, do you think that you can still see these clients knowing that you have children? And and a good chunk of my offenders were sexually, uh, they were sexually offenders with children. Like that was hard. And I had to take myself out of that. But in the midst of that, those sexual offenders had traumas and about 70% of them that I dealt with were abused as children and they never dealt with their traumatic, you know, experiences. And so in thinking about trauma, it it is so embedded in so many things that we don't even think about because there are some people that have never experienced that. You know, my, my husband, when we talk about trauma, he lived in this little janky house in small town, Kansas never experienced, you know, being homeless, never experienced any type of types of abuse. Parents didn't divorce, you know, and then he meets me and it's like, I've been homeless twice. We, you know, went through a tornado in the middle of Kansas, go figure. And parents divorced. And you don't think about what that's like when you have never really dealt with major traumas, big T's or little T's. Mm-hmm. And then you meet somebody that has traumas. And it's like, how do you how do you deal with that? So 
Yeah. That even embeds itself into couples. You know, when I deal with couples, mm-hmm. I have a couple and one of the spouses has been through crazy traumas. The other one has not. Mm-hmm. Or if they have, it doesn't affect them, you know, at the same level that their partner is. So how do you deal with that? Yes. I mean, there's just, I don't want to say the beauty of doing therapy is you never know what you're going to get. Yes. We're never, <laughs> ever, ever, ever bored. That's for sure. <laughs> no, not not even close. And, you know, my, my poor husband, he, we both have psychology backgrounds, but he decided to do IT. Like, he was just like, this is not for me. I'm just going to deal with computers all day. And I'm like okay, you know, or if I, I, I have intakes and he just has to look at me and he's just like, was it that bad? And I'm like, no, but it was really, it's a, it's a brain teaser. So I, I need a minute to mm-hmm. think about this. So it's just taking situations and looking at it as a puzzle. And it's like, how do I, how do I get this yes. puzzle uh, to fix itself? Or, you know, how, how do I get this person to want to? That's the other thing. When you deal with clients that have trauma, ultimately, and I always tell them, and before I even start, and EMDR is a primary treatment that I use with them, before we even start working on trauma, I have to know that they are 100% committed to doing this. And I always explain to them that when we start getting into your traumas, it's going to bring up some crap. It's going to bring up some things that you didn't think about or even realize how much it's impacted you. And so I need you to be safe. Mm -hmm. And so we start doing resourcing um, before I even start talking about their trauma. And when I say resourcing, they're identifying Mm -hmm. coping skills. They're identifying their safe words and um, they're identifying what needs to happen if they become triggered. Because ultimately, and what people don't realize, I'm not available 24-7, 50 minutes once a week. So after that, and depending on whatever day we do our session. So if I see you on Wednesday, I'm not going to see you again for seven whole days. So how are you going to be able Mm -hmm. to maintain those seven days without calling me, Um, you know, or, or sending me an email or whatever the case is. And so, so we do a lot of like resourcing and prep before I even dive into pre-planning that those tools are so necessary because I, I think that when you do when you've had no sense of not only just what your trauma is you often those same folks have the experience of not understanding how their emotions operate right and then when those emotions start spilling out because they don't go anywhere if you don't express them y'all like they don't (laughs) emotions don't just dissipate because you push them away they don't you have to process through to be able to then function and then understand how they work and then continue to process through them because once you allow yourself to have emotions you can't go back your body's like yo you're letting me to do this now so i like this well and and (laughs) something that i always try to do because i've worked like i said i've worked with kids i've worked with little kids as young as 18 months and i've worked with adults as old as 65 so Mm -hmm. something i always try to do and this is something you can do universal it's like an iceberg You know, I always talk with them about Titanic and it's so cute. Some people know what it is. Some people don't. But you think about, you know, your emotions and it's like if you've been angry for so long and you've just been pissed off at the world, that's that's your secondary emotion. You know, your primary emotions, whatever's going on underneath the crap. So we we got it. We got to get to the crap underneath it. And people don't realize that that anger is a response. 
And so, you know, when people are like, yes. well, I want to stop being angry. That's an emotion. I'm not going to tell you not to be angry. But what we're going, what we're going right. to do is we're going to work on how to channel it in a healthier way. Like, I'm not going to let you go out and start hulking it out with people. But, you know, it, one, it's illegal. You can't do that. But two, like, mm-hmm. let's talk about that. Where is that anger coming from? What is the, what's the core belief that you have? So, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing trauma, it almost is like, when I think of like a domino effect, cognitive behavior therapy is like my jam. I will sit with you <laughs> for days on end and we're going to talk about your beliefs. And I used to have this poster. I haven't hung it up in my, in my wall yet, but I have this poster about thinking errors. And we talk about like, you know, when you're getting into this, this negative spot, what is going on with you? You know, and I have this, my favorite worksheet to ever give people, whatever, it doesn't matter if you got trauma, sexual trauma, whatever the case is, we talk about core beliefs. So the first thing I'm going to do with you mm-hmm. is we're going to explain what's a core belief. And then the next thing we're going to talk about is what are your core beliefs? And so if you're, you know, beating on yourself or I'm worthless, I'm not lovable, you know, I'm never going to be able to have an orgasm. Like, where's that coming from? And we like kind of start to unravel. It's like peeling an onion. We peel back the onion and figure out, okay, where did that come from? And then that's when we start to uncover some traumas. And so, you know, it might be maybe you were born into a very religious upbringing that did not allow you to, you know, recognize that masturbation is okay. It's it's something Mm -hmm. that you have ingrained in your head that that is wrong. And so when it happens, it's, it's considered a sin or it's considered bad. Or if you are watching sexual things, or if you want to, to venture into uh, sexual curiosity, you know, it's, you've been told it's not good and that that's your core belief and that's how you see it. And then it, you know, how does that trans, how does that transform into your responses? And so it's, it's, it's this beautiful thing when you start to like mold it, I think of like ghost the movie when you're sitting there and like, you know, Mm. you're um, having the nice little pottery scene, but it's like, you're, you're starting Mm. and building this beautiful picture, but it starts out with you having to really sit back and work and talk about things that you don't want to talk about. Yeah. Or understanding that your hands might get messy while you're working on the pot. I mean, you're not going to have Patrick Swayze, though. So that's that's the only thing that kind of sucks. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so I want uh, I, I, something that Zana and I share, because y'all don't get to be part of our meetings, so, is that we both are, are incredibly nerdy human beings. So uh, I kind of want y'all to get to know Sana a little bit. So that when you call and you want to get therapy from our practice, that you kind of have, you might have an idea of who you might like to see because you're feeling maybe while you're listening to this, you might be feeling connected to Sana and what Sana's saying. So I want you to feel like you can call and be like, oh yeah, I, I really want, I want, I want Sana as a therapist. Like, so you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you reveal a little bit about what what we both share in oh, our gosh. nerddom. So my nerdum I feel like was by like through marriage. Okay. Like met my husband mm. and he's so introverted and love him to death, but he is like the nerdiest person I've ever met. And he like introduced me to Mystery Science Theater. Not many people know about that show. I had never heard about the show. I just thought it was weird. But like <laughs> but like we were I think I had it on like Pluto and I was like, You didn't tell me they had a riff tracks for Night of the Living Dead. And he's like, Yeah. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And so I was like putting it on in the background. <laughs> and like I think it was last night I was working. And I was like, I think I had yeah. time chasers on. And I was like, why mm. why is this 
why did she get shot? And then, like, why why is he, like, yeah. jumping off of, like, why did he wreck the car? And he's, like, on bicycles. Like, I don't understand this. And he was, like, <laughs> he's, like, it's it's such a good show. So, I mean, it's just, like, my husband is the biggest oh, mystery the science chasers. theater. Like, we've, I've met, I've met Joel. I've met, like, like, we've gone to, you know, the riff tracks. And, like, he has this entire shelf that's just all these, like, DVDs. And I'm just, like, oh. And I'm, like, they have a Transformers one. And he's, like, yes, they do. And so, you know, kind of mm-hmm. by default. And then on top of that, my husband loves football. Like, you would think he's a football savant. Mm-hmm. And we're both from Kansas. Um, he was born in Texas, but loves the Bengals. Never been to Ohio, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. That, that's his Calvin and Hobbes obsession. And I, like... Mm-hmm like the Broncos, but the only reason why I like the Broncos, you're a Denver I'm a fan? Denver fan, but the only reason why I like Denver, this is going to be like the really sad part. And I like their colors. Like uh-huh. when I had that, when I was thinking about teams, okay, I was fine. like, I like their colors. I don't like Kansas city colors. I don't, I don't like red and gold. And people are like, mm. I, I don't understand that phenomenon. I'm a, I'm a Niners yeah. fan. So I, I just to, am I like, I, I love their colors. Problem. So I've just been a Broncos fan. And then we moved to Missouri and it's like, everybody's uh. all Kansas city. And I'm like, ugh. How does he feel about you you working working for the University of Oregon with the Ducks? He actually <laughs> he actually watches like now like he he we've watched college football we like KU because we're from Kansas oh, but yeah. he's like mom's yeah. team won they're they're in the top three and I'm like oh and I'm like they got some cute colors um and when I was doing the interview <laughs> I was like hey do you like have what? any I was like I was like is there anything that you know I should be able to tell these people when I'm doing my interview so he starts spouting off all these football players and I'm like. Who? And he's like, Marcus Mariota, Justin Herbert, Dan Fouts. And I was like, can you tell me something relevant, like, to psychology? And he's like, no. And then I was like, well, what if, what if they don't like football? <laughs> and he's like, well, then tell them that Nike was there. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. So, you know, it's like sports, sports in our house. And then I actually started watching Doctor Who. Like, it is the weirdest thing. Oh, started watching Doctor Who. My husband is, doesn't, my husband doesn't really dumps. care for Doctor Who, but I started watching it and I got obsessed. God obsessed. And so I like have my TARDIS. I have like my um, background is like Starry Night. I love Van Gogh. And so when they have a Starry Night TARDIS, like I felt like I was in heaven. And so I'm just like. I was going to ask you. So who's your doctor? So I started, I started watching Christopher Eccleston and I was like, you know, I kind of feel like he doesn't get a lot of the cred, but like, okay, to to get into like the Mm -hmm. whole I almost want to say, like, the celebrity type, David Tennant. I don't know why. I love him. I love him. But then, but then you have, like... That's my doctor. you have, like, bow ties. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I love Matt Smith. Matt yes, Smith. Yes, it's like Matt Smith. Yeah. What can you do? And then it's like I started watching... I've been, like, finishing the most recent one, and I'm like, oh, they have a female doctor. Uh-huh. Like, how how amazing is that? Uh-huh. That's, like, totally badass. Jodie uh, Whittaker. So I'm just like, Killing I can't, it. I can't. So I've, I've tried to get my husband to watch Doctor Who. He doesn't care for it. But we mm. started watching Supernatural. Like, okay, my obsession oh, is Jared Padalecki. Don't know why. I watch Gilmore mm. Girls. Love them to death. So I start. So we started watching it. This is like back in the day when Netflix used to have the disc that you would buy. <laughs> so we would oh, we would rent yes. we would rent it. So we watched it. Oh yeah, you'd rent your one. Your you'd one get your disc one disc. That would last one to three you. discs. Oh, Sorry, children who are listening, you the probably have worst no clue what ever. So you'd get it and you'd be like binging it, and then you'd be like, "Oh, I got to send it back if I want to get the other one." So he bought me like the first couple seasons, loved it, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is so good!" Just one, they're from Lawrence, Kansas, so it's like yes, um, and you're watching it, and then I just started like I took off and started watching it, and my husband like I left him in the dust, and we used to do this thing where we would watch shows together. 
But then it got to where it was just like, are you going to watch this? No. And I'm like, I, I can't wait for you. I got to watch it. So I like went through all of like Supernatural, cried like a baby at the end because I was like, oh my gosh, of it's course. over. I've spent 15, 15 of years of my life. I'm 36. 15 I'm 36. Years. I started incredible? watching that show when I was in my 20s. And I was like, <laughs> how, sad, how sad does that make me feel? And so it's just like, oh my gosh. But like, I, I watch American Horror Story. Like I just, I will watch oh, things. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so good. And so I just like, I never, and I, I hate to say the word nerd, I never thought I would be into like a lot of things, but like I'll watch, you know, whether it's Doctor Who or Supernatural or, you know, I'm, I'm watching Mr. Yep. Science Theater now. We'll just watch things. And I'm like, we have comfort shows, um, y'all. That's how we've all gotten through I'm the like, pandemic is oh comfort gosh, shows. Like, right. Some people it's Parks and Rec. Oh, I've watched that Some too. Some people it's Drag I mean, Race. Community. Sometimes. I was like, I can't community. <laughs> community. Oh yeah. I mean, it's just my thing. And then, like you know, we started watching Ted Lasso. So, like, I, I, oh, Ted Lasso. We could do a whole episode just about Ted Lasso. Is from Kansas City, so it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize he he was from Kansas City. Well, he grew up. He grew up. He like was raised in like the Shawnee Mission. It's so weird and. Aaron cracks me up because I, when I was telling Aaron, yeah, we moved, and he goes, are you in Kansas or Missouri? And I'm like, we're in Missouri. It's like, there's a Kansas City, Kansas, and there's a Kansas City, Missouri. It's so dumb. Yeah. And so Jason Sudeikis is on the Kansas side, but he's like a diehard Chiefs fan, and he's actually come out here several times where, like, he has charities, like Paul Rudd, who, like, is a vampire and never ages. But Paul Rudd. Oh, my Paul gosh. Rudd, right? literally. Ugh, I've been in love since Ugh. Clueless. In he, love. He's from Kansas, um, and so he comes out here. There have been times oh, he's, he's been Kansas out here. Man. Eric Stone Street is, you know, diehard Kansas and K-State oh, person. So there have been times they come out here, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. So, like, you know, I'll, I'll watch just random shows, and, like, I actually started watching um, We Are in the Shadows, and <laughs> so good so, so, <laughs> we could oh my gosh we could be I here just, all day just talking just about shows you I and just i randomly just started watching shows. it and i guillermo is my person like i just oh, i same. just started like i was i think i just i think it was season two or no it was one of the most recent seasons and i just was like sitting there one day yeah. just watching it and i was just laughing and i was just like oh my gosh i love it and so you know uh, we walk around this house that, like i just go on bat <laughs> <laughs> I can't. So, I just, like, I just we could be here again. Like, I love it forever on show. We could be here forever. So if you somebody wants to box. be your client, I did. And we're probably just going to keep talking after we stop recording. But the the y'all, I know you want to find Sana. I know you want to be her client. How do people find you in the world? So the best way I would say is is to get on the Center for Mental Health and Web and Sexual hey. website. I, I like to be able to maintain that level of boundary for myself. Um, I don't I don't do mm-hmm. social media as much as I used to, just because it's not it's not it's not fun anymore. I'm 36. When I started yeah. it, it was like, oh, right. this is cool. Now it's just like right. I don't want to know about your problems. You know, hey, how about mm-hmm. I direct you to this place? It feels like effort. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And because this is the the weirdness in me, I'm like algorithms. Like, hmm, what's going on here? This is the weird IT part of me, and I don't even want to get started on that. But if you mm-hmm. if if you want to find me, the Center for Mental and Sexual Health is the best place. And you're going to see not only my background, you'll actually see what I look like. And I promise mm-hmm. I'm not scary. But just knowing that, like, I'm I'm a real person, and honestly, whatever issue you you got you have going on, I probably worked with with somebody that has had that and so Mm -hmm. don't you know ever feel like 
whatever is going on with you is not something that we can work on. And honestly, I will never be one to be like, yeah, I, I got this. We can do this because I'm human just like everybody else. And I might be like, ooh, that might be a that. You know? And so if, it, if it's not me, there's going to be other people. And I can mm-hmm. attest to the fact that I work with an amazing bunch of people that, you know, we are popcorning ideas. We are saying, hey, have you have you worked with this particular, you know, treatment? And it's like, no. Hey, let, let's, let's research that. Let's look that up. So you're not going to find... Mm-hmm. Honestly, and I say this, in 11 years that I've been doing this, I've worked in private practice, I've worked in communities, I've worked in agencies, I've worked in schools, I've, I've done it all. I can say that this is probably the most connected that I have felt with clinicians. And that's something that's pretty rare, and you don't, you don't get that. I mean, and the other thing is, how many places can you sit and just BS and talk about TV shows? <laughs> that's right. Well, and the reality is, is that I think you just brought to the forefront of something that's really important that if if the connection isn't with you, we have other therapists that work in our group that might be the best connection. And if that therapist has a question, then we help each other. So we try to find a way through whatever that client is facing. We try to find a way through it together. And I'm just so tickled that that you joined us and that uh, I get to hang out with you on a regular basis. Um, y'all, this, there is a selfish part of this. Let's be completely honest. So you can find Sana, thementalandsexualhealth.com and reach out to us. We we try really hard to get back to people within 24 hours. So please, please, please reach out to us if you'd like to see Sana or anybody else on our team. Sana, thank you for coming. Oh my gosh, thank willing you. To do this. this is awesome. Nice way to start my morning. Awesome. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening to the end and we'll see you next time.